0: Welcome to Stuff Mom Never Told You from housetoforks.com
2: Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Caroline. And this is the E in our STEM series, which means we're talking about engineering today. That's right. There's only one more episode left
3: in our four-part series, which would be math. Yes. yes. Don't forget to tune back in for that one. But for this one, we are talking about the very multi. Multifaceted, surprisingly multifaceted, I'm sorry to say that I did not realize that, field of engineering.
2: And to kick things off uh, with a fun linguistic fact about engineering, it is derived from the Latin word ingenium, which means skills, genius, and invention. No pressure. Isn't that beautiful? That is beautiful. Who knew there was such beauty in in the very word engineering?
3: But who also knew that there were so many different aspects to it, like I just said? I mean... I engineering people out there are our, our engineering listeners. I want to hear about all the different things that you do, because there are so many different areas that engineering majors can pursue. And I think what we're going to get into a little bit is talking about the importance of educating our students, not just our girls, but our boys, too, about the different options that they have available to them once they go to college and pick a specialization. Number one, one of the specializations that my friend Clay, for instance, uh, has pursued is civil engineering. Um, That's one of the oldest disciplines within the engineering profession and deals with designing and creating infrastructure like
2: roads, bridges, and ports, as well as energy and water systems. And then there's things like mechanical engineering, which designs and analyzes objects and systems in motion. You have environmental engineers who work more outside, looking at man's impact on nature, doing things like uh, restoration of areas after natural disasters. Then there's biomedical engineering. This is one that has been really popular of late, too, with uh, women in college, because it takes the traditional engineering expertise and applies it to biology and medicine. This is where you get into making life-saving devices like pacemakers.
3: Yeah, and it's a field that I think really takes a lot of flexibility and the ability to kind of roll with the punches, because I think in biomedical engineering in particular, you're, you're really kind of creating new technology as you go, and so you've got to kind of, as with all of these disciplines, you've got to be able to pull from many different areas of your
2: education. Yeah, and beyond that, there's aerospace, agricultural, chemical, electrical, health and safety engineering, and beyond. And simply making kids aware, like you said, Caroline, of the vast fields that you could go into via engineering is one of the main keys of getting girls from a younger age interested in this e in stem that's right and let's talk about some of the women who did
3: get interested in the e um some of our trailblazers include martha coston who um as a 21 year old widow with four children helped engineer a signal system so that ships could light up their locations on land and sea during the civil war just to give you some actual historical context her husband had designed this system that basically wouldn't function. It, it wouldn't work. And so, lo and behold, Martha Coston tweaks it, and the Navy ended up buying her system in 1859
2: for $20,000. Yeah, and then moving into the 20th century, fans of the book and the two movies, <laughs> Cheaper by the Dozen, might be familiar with the name Lillian Gilbreth. She was an industrial engineering genius and also a mother of 12 how those two things work together seamlessly I don't know um, but in 1915 she earned a PhD from Brown and then in 1926 became the first female member of the American Society of Mechanical Engineers but what her specialty was was industrial engineering she's known as the mo- mother of modern management and the first lady of engineering because of all of these innovations uh, with that she used Via her industrial psychology degree that she earned, she was the first person even to get that degree.
3: Yeah, she used a lot of her skills to focus on, of all things, ergonomics, floor plans and offices, even all the way down to the very workflow, like as you go through your day. So the way that your office was set up, how you sat at your particular desk, and then the work you did while you were there. She
2: mapped it out. And according to Cheaper by the Dozen, she applied and even tested out those kinds of industrial designs in her home, which was kind of like a mini office space when you have 14 people Mm -hmm. plus running around there. And then moving on to Marilyn Jorgensen-Reese, who
3: had a deep love for math, but she didn't want to be a teacher. She wanted to do something more With her background. And so in 1954, she became California's first female fully licensed civil engineer going on to oversee uh, Los
2: Angeles's San Diego Santa Monica Freeway Interchange. And next up we have Beatrice A. Hicks, who was clearly a genius. She not only just got a master's in physics, she also pursued chemical engineering, aerospace engineering, and electrical engineering, and really just made her name as this engineering polymath who could shapeshift all of these different skills that she had acquired for all of those different fields. And in 1950, she co-founded the Society of Women Engineers. Nice. Which still is around. Yeah. And
3: then we have Ellen Henrietta Swallow Richards, who is the first woman to graduate from MIT and also the founder of home economics, but not what you would think of as traditional stereotypical home economics, like baking a cake or learning how to run the dishwasher. It's more like focusing on safe food practices, healthy and affordable meal planning, and being more efficient also in taking care of a home and family.
2: And those are just five names. There are plenty more because there is a rich history of women in engineering, but when we look at the picture today... There aren't a ton of women who are pursuing these fields, at least compared to men. And before we get into today's women in engineering numbers, I first wanted to offer up this quote from the magazine, The Woman Engineer. This is from one of its editions in 1919. And they wrote, The outlook for women in the engineering world has become increasingly gloomy, and with the passing of the restoration of pre-war practices bill, the position seems a little hopeless. And I thought that was kind of a funny comparison. That's 1919. And not that things are hopeless, but still women are trying to figure out how exactly to break into this still very male-dominated industry. Absolutely. That pre-war practices bill basically said that Women kind of just
3: aren't allowed to work as engineers anymore because there was, there were all of these rules and regulations regarding unions and you had to be in a union to be an engineer, but women weren't allowed in unions.
2: So therefore, thus, ergo, they could not be engineers. Yeah. And they were suffering a lot because during World War one, similar to what happened in World War two, there were all these dudes who left their jobs. And so these newly minted women engineers were able to fill those ranks. But then the war ends and the guys were like, Get on out, ladies. Get on back to your kitchens. Because <laughs> that was from a British publication. Right. So.
3: Well, it's funny. I was talking to my roommate about this stuff, and I was uh, reading him this quote from the woman engineer. And he's like, well, I mean, but it's gotten better, right? Like, you know, it's like it's probably approaching equal by now, right? And I was like, oh, no, not even close. And he uh, looked confounded, uh, Because he thought, well, I, I just thought that's the way that all of these things were going, you know, that things are becoming more equal. And I said, look, it's just as grim and gloomy,
2: you know, now as it was in 1919, just about. Yeah, today in the United States, women are earning around 20% of the bachelor's degrees in engineering. But a lot of times, if they're better at math, they might pursue biomedical sciences instead. But the American Society for Engineering Education reported that in 2009, women were awarded 22.9% of engineering doctorates, which was more than any other time. So we're getting more PhDs. We are we are looking into engineering. We're getting involved with this, but still four times as many men are enrolling in engineering compared to women.
3: Right. And the gap is smaller. Actually, uh, when you look at computer science, there's just two times as many, just two times only as many as men. Many. Right. 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 Um, and so to look uh, a little bit closer at some of the gender differences in this field, this is coming from the study Pipeline or Personal Preference, Women in Engineering 2000, from 2008. And that, side note, Pipeline should sound familiar because we've talked about it in one of our earlier STEM episodes. Basically, the idea that there is this funnel, this pipeline uh, of women from very young ages, elementary school, middle school, high school, all the way through to the doctoral degree level, and it's leaking the whole way, basically. Like, women start out getting the same grades as men, having the same interest in science as men, and math, and then it slowly starts to dissipate. So, that's that background. Um, but, so this study found out that 12.3% of the about a thousand female participants had changed majors to
2: engineering compared to 6.6% of male participants. And I think that that had something to do with, again, these girls coming to college and realizing all of the different options that engineering offered them. And so they said, oh, maybe this is a better fit. Because, again, it's from like from the very get-go with engineering, a little bit different from something like straight-up science, tech, or math, whereas engineering, I feel like there's not as much just public knowledge about what all you can do with it. So they think that that might be responsible for that larger percentage of women switching into engineering. And they thought it was notable that over half of the female study participants had engineers in their families compared to 46.2% of men. So there were also more women who seem directly influenced by just seeing engineers around them
3: yeah exactly and i mean talking about stereotypes of the field you know a lot of what we read points out the fact that um and this isn't just for women this is just kind of for all students in general there's this perception of engineering being like i'm going to get my hands greasy and dirty i'm going to be lifting heavy things and putting cogs into machines all day long and you know and and so what we're trying to drive the the point that we're trying to drive across is that there is so much more to engineering. And so the study also looked at kind of a breakdown of what uh men and women kind of veer toward within these fields. And they found that women were more comfortable with lab work, performing experiments and writing, whereas men were more comfortable Working with tools, designing new things, working with computers, making presentations, and working with machines.
2: But I think it's worth noting, though, that being comfortable... With something doesn't necessarily mean the same thing as being proficient as it, because uh, civil and environmental engineering professor at the University of Colorado Boulder, Angela Bielfeldt, said that, quote, women tend to leave engineering with higher grade point averages than the men. But they perceive that their technical skills are sometimes different and they're not different in reality. And I think that gets to this issue of socialization that has come up a lot in this women in STEM conversation, too. And that negative self-assessment yeah. that goes on.
3: Yeah. And, and that's something we've talked about in these these episodes that, you know, women and girls tend to think that they need to be, you know, triple the engineer or the mathematician or the scientist that the man is just to be considered you know, acceptable. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I think it goes into what happens, the, the, the mindset, the Rube Goldberg machine that trips off in the brain when you really start to make headway into what is considered a, a really masculine pursuit.
3: Right, and it's interesting to note kind of almost the, the, the different poles of, of engineering that men and women go towards because in civil engineering classes, you know, my friend Clay, who is a man, Uh, In that field, it's going to be mostly guys, but the female numbers increase in fields like environmental engineering, but women's numbers increase in other fields of engineering, including environmental
2: engineering, but particularly industrial engineering. So again, for those of you who might not be familiar with industrial engineering, it's more focused on human-centered systems, looking at things like design, improvement, and installation in terms of how that interacts with people, materials, equipment, and energy. And more than any other field, industrial engineering tends to have the largest concentration of women at around 32%. So there was a study that came out called Women in Industrial Engineering, Stereotypes Per. Persistence, and Perspective, and it came out in 2012, looking at why that was, because this was part of a larger body of research, digging into the different engineering disciplines to see what was really appealing to women and what wasn't, what women were sticking with and what they weren't, and engineering stood out to them as a, quote-unquote, pocket of success. And something that came up really quickly in this paper was that there's a stereotype among engineering folk that industrial engineering is perceived to be easy or they some sometimes call it imaginary engineering
3: Uh, blah. blah. i'm gonna make a lot of like disappointed slash disapproving noises about that one because don't you think that okay male-dominated field section of male dominated field that has the most women in it the highest concentration of women women then perceived already in gender stereotypes to be not as scientific or mathematically minded so then you have some ill-informed individuals out there thinking well if women can do it it well, must be easy
2: well it isn't just the male students who are perpetuating that idea it's also the the women who are saying this too in the study but I think you're totally on point because one of the number one phrases that popped up when these researchers were asking female industrial engineering students why they were really into industrial engineering. And the phrase that kept coming up was people-oriented, which stands in such contrast, if you think of civil engineering, which is that really male-heavy pocket of engineering that's all about Bridges and roads. Let's pave a way through the mountains. You know, it's it's a uh, it, it seems it does seem like it's more feminine.
3: Right. Yeah. And, and especially since those focus group participants cited things like approachable faculty, um, inherent femininity with things like scheduling, efficiency and communication, but also sociability. But I, I thought it was uh, interesting that it's the only engineering major that gains women and men from the third semester through six-year graduation. So it's clearly not just women who are all of a sudden going like, oh, well, maybe I like that instead. Maybe I like that better. There are clearly some men out there who are also thinking like, oh, well, you know, maybe I don't want to just focus on bridges and roads. Maybe I do like the the people aspect of that Disciplined. Not that Caroline and I have anything against bridges and roads. No, I, I am so thankful when there are roads to drive on and even more thankful when there is a properly constructed and inspected bridge across which I may drive.
2: And this has been our civil engineering <laughs> salute. But uh, but there is something, though, about that people aspect and possibly the idea of how engineering can solve problems for people, can help people, can literally save lives that some who are really invested in attracting more women to engineering want to hone in on. So we're going to get into that altruistic aspect of engineering when we come right back from
0: a quick break. This episode is brought to you by China. The China brand provides premium disposable tableware to celebrate moments of togetherness. Yes, and right
1: now that is more important than ever. Especially when we're all apart. So, recently I had a group and we had a, a socially distanced barbecue where the host drew out circles and chalk that were nice. six feet apart, and everyone showed up with their own chairs and beverages. And it was really convenient to have disposable products. And we we just had a, a lovely conversation. Um, it was really fun.
0: Yeah. And I'm with the disposable products. I know that the Chinet brand provides durable and trusted products, which I have used before that let you enjoy every moment of the get-togethers in traditional or now not. And there
1: are classic white products that can work for any gathering or cut crystal plates and cups when you want to make something a little extra special. Disposable tableware keeps things simple and cleanup easy. Chynet products are available wherever you buy groceries, including delivery or pickup. This episode of Stuff Mom Never Told You is brought to you by HelloFresh. Get fresh pre-measured ingredients and mouthwatering seasonal recipes delivered right to your door with HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh lets you skip those trips to the grocery store and makes
0: home cooking fun, easy, and affordable.
1: So we left off,
2: we were talking about how the altruistic element of engineering could be used as a powerful recruitment tool to get more girls and women interested in this field because research does consistently show that women are more drawn to fields of study that they believe will contribute to the social good. And it's the same thing within engineering, where if you break out all those different fields, women do tend to be drawn to those areas that seem to have a direct application on people's lives. And a lot of times when you talk to women engineers and ask them why they love doing what they do, they say, well, I help people. I'm solving problems. I'm making people's lives better with my work. Sure. And this was confirmed
3: by the American Society of Mechanical Engineers because there's this growth in women pursuing mechanical engineering in the medical and energy fields Um, because of these strong societal ties and the clear-cut positive impact that it has on people. It's something that C. Diane Matt, the executive director of the Women in Engineering Proactive Network, basically calls social relevance, saying that women are drawn to this high social relevance in this field.
2: Yeah, and there's something we should talk about, too, uh, in regard to this altruistic pull within STEM, some have said that the biological sciences, for instance, tend to be, uh, tend to have more women pursuing them, working in them, because there seems to be a closer connection to having an impact on other people's lives within that kind of work. And obviously, you can divert from there into biomedical things. You want to become a doctor, you want to help people, you want to save lives, etc. Same thing going on within engineering. And there is even an Intel-sponsored study that asked teens to read a series of statements about engineering. And the ones that motivated the girls the most we're about how, surprise, surprise, engineering helps fix global problems like clean water solutions. And I can understand that. If I was told when I was 15, hey, hey, kid, you want to solve some clean water issues? I mean, tell me how. Sign me up. Can I podcast it?
3: <laughs> can I bring the cat? <laughs> um, well, so now that we've talked about this incredible altruistic angle and the fact that you really can change lives and entire communities
2: with your engineering background, Let's, let's talk about some salaries. Uh, yeah, you can also make a lot of money. That's also something. If someone had tapped me on the shoulder and said, Hey kid, you want to save some lives and make a ton of cash doing it? Yeah. The National Association of
3: Colleges and Employers shows us just how lucrative a career it can be. I mean, engineering makes up like the, the top, the top like six, I think, uh, jobs. So computer engineering, you can make over $70,000. Chemical engineering, more than sixty-six computer science, more than sixty-four.
2: Yeah, and it goes all the way down at the bottom of the barrel. <laughs> right, we have civil engineering starting out at uh, just fifty-seven-six. Uh, so, <laughs> even even that is really lucrative, and uh, it's too bad that there can't be more quote-unquote pockets of success like. Industrial engineering, because at least according to a UK survey among 300 female engineers, the job satisfaction is really high, although caveat as you there should always be a caveat with surveys. The survey was sponsored by Atkins, which is an engineering firm, but it found that 98 percent of the women said their jobs were rewarding and satisfying and 87 percent didn't see gender as holding them back. But it
3: is worth noting that 40% of these women they talked to were inspired to pursue engineering thanks to a family member, usually their dad, and 91% were inspired by a teacher. So look, I mean, that is that is like tangible evidence of how important it is to have people in our children's lives inspiring them to go do something that maybe they hadn't thought of. To, how important
2: it is just to normalize an entire field of study. Yeah and and that's one of the reasons why a lot of these respondents went on to say that there needs to be a greater awareness of what an engineer does as we have hammered home a number of times on the podcast and improved mentorship for girls and that was something too that came up in our conversation a while ago with Goldie Blocks founder Deborah Sterling who was a Stanford engineer she created this toy called Goldie Blocks which is specifically designed to get girls excited about engineering, to teach them engineering fundamentals in a fun and engaging and girl-friendly kind of way. Because when she was growing up, Even though she ended up becoming an engineer, she would have had no idea as a kid that that would even be a possibility because in front of her, all she saw were princesses and Barbies and pink things. And she was like, I was building things with my Barbies, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that that was engineering. And I think it wasn't until high school that a teacher alerted her to that. Well, all of this
3: uh, stuff that we've been learning in our STEM episodes has really inspired me because Christmas time is coming up and I have a five year old niece and I don't think they all listen to the podcast. so I think it's safe to talk about this, but um I found this dollhouse set that basically has a, a like a battery pack attached to it and you can run. These currents and actually light up your dollhouse. Oh, that's neat. You build walls, you hang lamps, you do all sorts of stuff. And so she is into anything, anything that is pink, purple, and sparkly. And so a dollhouse would be neat. And if she can learn some spatial reasoning skills while she does it, then that's even better. Yeah, and some electrical engineering, too, it sounds like. Well, Auntie Caroline is trying to get uh, little Sarah into some engineering stuff. You're, you're planting
2: the stem seeds, Caroline. Indeed I am. Um, but we do have to bring our high down for a moment uh, and move away from that survey that was very happy-go-lucky because that's... Not always the case with women in engineering, as is expected when you go into these fields that are very much, in the words of a female engineer, boys clubs. <laughs> um, there was a University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee Center for the Study of the Workplace report that came out in 2008 looking at women in engineering. And it found that, first of all, a third of women graduating from engineering programs don't enter engineering jobs because they see them as inflexible or non-supportive of women. Come on now. I
3: mean, how many times have we heard that about different, I mean, just different arenas in general? Yeah. As far as, I mean, as far as supporting women goes, they also found that half of women surveyed who left engineering jobs did so because of working conditions, too much travel, too little advancement and pay. And one in three left because of a hostile work environment.
2: And there probably is a lot of unconscious and conscious bias at work because these engineering fields are still so male dominated. But female engineers who worked in companies that valued and recognized their contributions, invested in training and professional development, expressed the greatest levels of satisfaction within their jobs and careers, which you could probably apply that to any type of job that that supports you and wants to see you succeed. But, in a realm like engineering, it's so critical to set up support structures outside of college at the end of the pipeline where the pipeline is supposed to end up the pool, the engineering pool. I'm not going to extend this pipeline <laughs> metaphor any farther because the gap is so huge, not just in the United States, but around the world. for instance, in in the u s and Canada, In the engineering workforce, women make up only 11%. But that's not as bad as it is in the UK.
3: No, the UK, it's only 7%. And in Australia, women make up 9.6% of the engineering workforce. But it's awesome over in Latvia, which is 30%, and Bulgaria, which has 29.3%. Yeah,
2: I think that came up as well in our tech episode, because it's similar with computer science, where Eastern Europe... They're all about getting some women into some STEM. And this probably is, is a reason why we're seeing so much government initiative with getting girls engaged in STEM. Because guess what, folks? Forty percent of the engineering workforce in China are women. Yeah, we're trailing. Yeah, we're trailing. And people are seeing this as a potential detriment to, To our economy, because why do women in engineering matter in a practical sense? It's not just because we want parity for everything, 50-50 for all. No, it has very real world implications because diversity fosters innovation. We need innovation.
3: Yeah, like there was some percentage, I can't remember, but our GDP is actually suffering because of the fact that we don't have the brightest minds in these fields, in the STEM fields, in engineering in particular, and I'm not—that's not to say that the people in engineering aren't bright. But when you are only taking from one pool of people from one pipeline, mm-hmm. uh, to bring that metaphor back, um, that means that you're taking, yeah, the best. But then you're also having to go down to fill the rest of your spots to maybe the middle of the pack. But why don't you go over to the other pool and take the top of their candidates? Also,
2: because that is the way that you get more innovation. Right. And even speaking more specifically to, to women's involvement, there's even some feminist theory of gender and engineering talking about how the two really are interwoven because a lot of times we're talking about all of these systems that are human centered and we're, they're, they're making things. They're making those roads and bridges and biomedical devices and clean watersheds. All of those things for not just male consumers, obviously, but also for female consumers and for kids. And as Dawn Bonfield, who's the VP of the Women's Engineering Society, said, women bring a diversity that a non-mixed team doesn't have. And the skills that they bring include a desire to produce an excellent product that delights the customer and solves a problem. Right. I mean, just think about the
3: items, to use a general word, that we are not getting. Because some of those great minds did not end up in engineering or left engineering because it was unwelcoming. Mm -hmm. And I mean, another problem that you run into, like you said, I mean, you 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 lose that innovation when you don't have women's minds on the team as well. But you also create problems. You're not just avoiding good solutions. You're creating problems because we have the issue of airbags. What about airbags, you say? Well, because it was a male team that created these safety devices, they were created for male bodies. And so women and children in vehicles
2: actually were getting injured by the very safety devices that were supposed to save their lives. Yeah, and there have also been issues of voice recognition software that only recognized male voices because it was an all-male team building them. Now, clearly, you could swing the other way and say that you'd have similar problems crop up if you had all-female teams working on things. That's why the, the name of the game is about diversity and bringing multiple minds to the table to foster innovation. Because I, I think Dr. Mary Gilly, who works with EA Technologies, said it best. She said, We have more chances of better serving the needs of society as a whole if those working in engineering reflect a cross-section of society.
3: Yeah, and I mean, Margaret Bailey, who's a professor of mechanical engineering at the Rochester Institute of Technology in New York, summed it up by saying, hey, look, you're just going to see entirely different outcomes in general. I mean, you're going to see better products, I mean, happier consumers, but also happier engineers. I mean, I I think if there's a shift in this field, You know, hopefully we can get more women involved and more
2: of the old guard, more accepting and welcoming as well. Yeah. And it's exciting to know that there are those Lillian Gilbreths out there, those trailblazers who have done incredible things and that there are women working right now who are doing incredible things. But we need more of them. Which is why I'm quitting the podcast to become an engineer, Caroline. No, no, please. I'll tell you what, it it excited me, honestly, just Mm -hmm. learning about engineering. It it honestly made me feel like a senior in high school looking through the college pamphlets, thinking about, oh, all these incredible things people are doing. Um, But but I do really want to hear from engineers out there. Male, female, whomever, uh, because I would, I would love to get an inside view of what it is really like because there are those vastly different uh, workplace survey results saying, oh, everything's great. No, everything's terrible. Uh-huh. So let us know what it's like. And uh, also, if there are any notable women engineers that we should promote, let us know all of your engineering thoughts. MomStuffAtDiscovery.com is where you can send your letters. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or send us a message on Facebook.
1: This episode of Stuff I Never Told You is brought to you by Catan.
0: This year is the
1: 25th anniversary of Catan. Get Catan at CatanShop.com slash mom. Listeners of the podcast get 10% off the original base game Catan by using the promo code MOM at checkout. Offer not good on other Catan titles or merchandise. This episode is brought to
0: you by Arches and Halos.
1: Between being on video calls all day, having to wear masks everywhere, and now using our eyes and only our eyes to smile at people, it feels like the main thing people notice now are our eyes.
0: Arches and Halos is our favorite brow product that is so easy to find, pick up, and with a few quick steps, have the most amazing brows ever. They have professional
1: quality products at the perfect price point. Celebrity makeup artists use Arches and Halos because of
0: how well done the formulas are, and they are half the price of department store brands. They have eight color shades to choose from, everything from sunny blonde to auburn to charcoal. Everyone is
1: represented. They cater to women and men of all brow shapes and sizes. Embrace your natural brow. And
0: they're all about individuality. Brow tools for all looks and style needs. You can use for dramatic or natural look. They
1: have an amazing range of products too, from tweezers, razors, pencils, pomade, mousses, gels, all kinds of things. Find Arches and Halos on your next trip to Target and Walgreens. Arches and Halos Professional Brow Grooming. Be bold, be you. And now, back to our Letters.
2: So I've got a letter here from MG, who is a Mexican physicist. And she had some thoughts on our Women in Science episode. And she said, While growing up, I didn't experience such a strong gender bias in science education. I've always been good in math, and I've always felt proud about it. But once I was in the last year of high school, the picture changed. In Mexico, one has to choose a major when applying to a university. And once in university, one takes the corresponding courses, i.e. it's not possible to decide a major after enrolled. I was very interested in both math and physics, And before deciding which major I would study, I went to the university to talk with several researchers to make up my mind. And although the information they gave me was useful, I was very disappointed by the lack of women researchers. The ratio of men to women researchers in physics and math, at least in the university I attended, is around 1 in 10. This uninspiring scenario prevailed... During my undergraduate studies and my master's studies, which I just finished. Congratulations. Despite that, I'm extremely motivated to pursue a life career in physics. And from time to time, not having female role models that I can relate to is demotivating. I have many anecdotes that I could share, but to be brief, my viewpoint is that one of the main reasons there are few women in science is because of our culture. I even dare to finger point that the pervasive idea that the ultimate, some may say only purpose of women on Earth is to procreate has a bad impact on women's self-image since it tends to diminish any other achievement a woman can have in her life. So, thanks, MG, and congratulations on that physics, Masters.
3: Well, I have a letter here from Elizabeth. She is a postdoctoral researcher in astrophysics, currently working at the Max Planck Institute for Astronomy. So we, I mean, essentially have like a science celebrity writing us right now. But she had some things to say. She says, this is purely anecdotal, but growing up in a small town in Portugal, I was always very fascinated by science, especially astronomy, and I did well in math and physics at school. I have a twin brother who himself has always been more inclined to the humanities. People like friends, teachers, and family found it very puzzling and kept commenting on how we had quote unquote reversed the gender roles when we chose what to pursue in high school and college. It seemed natural for some people that I should have been the humanities-inclined twin and my brother should have been the science-inclined one. We weren't raised in the most gender-blind way. For example, I played with a lot of pink stuff and ponies and Barbies, and my brother had the more masculine toys like robots and Legos. And overall, I was very much encouraged to pursue feminine activities like learning to cook and such. But the fascination with nature, physics, and the beauty of the night sky won over all of that. But I would say I had to be quite strong-willed to pursue that interest against all stereotypes, not to mention astrophysicist is not really a common career path in Portugal, let alone in my small town. I am sure that girls and women can be as good as boys and men in math and science, and any differences we see in the student or scientist population results from ingrained sexist biases in our culture. And these biases can be damaging at any level. I have seen it through my school years, but also now my academic path. I am very lucky to work in a research institute where a large fraction of researchers are female, not quite 50% though, and the work environment is one of the most female-friendly ones I know. However, you can see how lifelong prejudices and biases can affect specifically women. Typically, women are less vocal and less dominant in discussions than men, even when they have comparable scientific expertise. Women in academia definitely tend to suffer from imposter syndrome, more than men as you discussed in the Lena in episode which i think is a symptom of the field still being very male dominated hopefully things are improving for the better as more and more women get phds in science fields and more women scientists with visibility outside of academia equals more role models for young girls which is really good news Good news indeed, Elizabeth. Thank you
2: so much for writing and telling your story. And thanks to all of the scientists that we've been hearing from lately. Uh, we want to hear from everybody. MomStuff at is where you can send your letters. You can also tweet us at MomStuffPodcast or send us a message on Facebook. Like us there while you're at it. And for some more fun stuff, we're on Instagram at StuffMomNeverToldYou and on Tumblr as well at StuffMomNeverToldYou.Tumblr.com. And for For your viewing pleasure, we have a YouTube channel that you should definitely go check out. It's YouTube.com slash Stuff Mom Never Told You. And don't forget to subscribe. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: If you crack open an American history book, it's sure to be filled with founding fathers, bloody wars, and the inventions that brought this country to the industrial age. But there's a whole other world that waits for us in the shadows. Tales of unlikely heroes, world-changing tragedies, and legends that are unique to this country's spirit. So join me, Lauren Vogelbaum, for a tour of American history unlike any other, through a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Aaron Menke's Grim and Mild. Get ready for American Shadows. Listen to American Shadows on Apple
0: Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Amy Nelson.
1: And I'm Sam Edis. We're the hosts of iHeart's newest podcast, What's Her Story with Sam and Amy?
0: We both have our own businesses. And between us, we have
2: seven children. And since the moment we met, we've been sharing our stories with each other. The thing
3: is, we all know the stories of industry titans like Bezos and Jobs. But the stories of women, they remain incomplete.
1: We ask questions no one else even touches. We are not afraid to get personal. So listen to What's Her Story with Sam and Amy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.